chapter 32. We'll be in Genesis 32. How many of you have taken opportunity to sign up to go door knocking this month? Don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I would think that we all want to raise our hand. We just haven't gotten to it yet. Well, tonight, whenever you leave, just go out these doors and go to your left and go to the breezeway and sign up to go soul winning. Uh, and sign up to go door knocking, rather, this month. Uh, the desire is to have a representative from our church out in the community every single day during the month of September sharing the gospel, passing out tracts. Uh, and uh, how many of you were here Sunday night and, and heard Pastor announce the new little track that we got, See the Need, Do the Deed? Man, that is a great opportunity for you to just show the love of Christ and and uh, you don't even have to confront or talk to anybody necessarily. You just do something nice. Uh, all of us are nice people, so just do not, something nice for somebody else and then give them that card. Or uh, what we did is we were going through Starbucks and uh, we decided whoever's behind us, no matter what they get, we're going to do that for them. And so in the drive through and they told us, it was like a four-drink order. We were like, oh, man. But we did it anyways and uh, gave them the card. And so everybody can do that. It's very easy. And so I'd encourage you to just take opportunity sometime this month to get out, share the gospel. You say, I'm an introvert and I'm scared. Okay, that's great. But you know it's a command. It's not something that uh, we're just born with or not something that you can do as an option. We are commanded to go into the highways and hedges and share the gospel. It's a command. And you don't want to be disobedient against the Lord. I'll tell you that. Uh, you don't want to be disobedient to that command because, number one, God's going to get his way. And, number two, you're missing out on a blessing. How many of you have ever led somebody to the Lord? Is that not one of the greatest feelings in the world, to share the gospel with somebody and them to accept the gospel? And, and it's, it's because of the Lord, it's not because of you, uh, but I believe it's the book of Isaiah says that their blood will not be required at your hand. Did you know that every time that God pricks it upon your heart, the Holy Spirit pricks your heart to share the gospel and you don't, whenever they pass off into eternity, their blood will be on your hands? That's what the Bible says. So let's be obedient this month and share the gospel, and uh, I promise you, you won't regret it. It'll be a benefit and a help to you. And then also, I just wanted to mention, uh, this Sunday is First Responders Sunday, and so uh, if you see a first responder, buy them coffee. If you see a first responder, walk up and shake their hand, look them in the eye, and let them know that you love them and that you pray for them and that you appreciate them, and let them know about this Sunday and that they can come and let us love on them. We're excited. We'll have a couple representatives from our fire uh, district uh, over here. I believe it's uh, District. District 7 is, I don't see Brother Jeff in here tonight, but anyways, uh, uh, I think he's uh, in the back, but uh, he works over there, he's the chaplain, and uh, he'll uh, have a couple of his friends here this Sunday, so we're excited about that. Genesis chapter 32, and uh, we're going to be reading verse 24 down through verse number 32, reading about Jacob. Uh, I preached a couple of weeks or months ago uh, out of the life of Joseph in Genesis, and we referenced Jacob, and so uh, uh, we're going to do a little bit of, uh, of reading tonight about this man, Jacob, uh, verse number 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou ask, uh, dost ask uh, after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God's face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun arose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. 
thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which, uh, which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. And tonight, for just a few moments, in light of our series, uh, going through the life of, uh, going through the series we've entitled Shattered, God Uses Broken People, or Broken People Used by God. We're going to take a look at this man, Jacob, and I'd like us to take a look at it from this aspect. Are you at the end of your rope? That's a great place to be. Are you at the end of your rope? That's a great place to be. Let's ask the Lord's blessing tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and help us as we go through just briefly tonight. And look at this truth. I pray that we would be able to dig uh, through the scriptures and get something out of it and be able to apply it to our own lives. Lord, and as we have developed this thought that you use people who are yielded and who are uh, dependent upon you and that uh, uh, are removed of selfishness and pride and uh, self-sufficiency, Lord, I pray that that would be our prayer tonight is that we would continue to be humble before you because we're going to to see tonight that that is where you begin to work in our lives and bring us about uh, the avenue of blessing. Lord, I pray that you'd help us and uh, help me, fill me with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for reading with me. Uh, As we've mentioned uh, in the first week, really, and we've mentioned every week since then uh, in our series, uh, we saw in Isaiah that God delights in the presence of those who come before him shattered and broken. Now, this might sound foreign to you if this is your first night, uh, uh, but in the first uh, night two weeks ago, we developed uh, this series, and I've entitled it Shattered, but kind of the connotation that you might get is, oh, you mean that God uses broken people. He can still use broken people who have been through difficulty But actually, we've developed this thought that God only uses broken people. He only uses people that are of a shattered spirit. And here's what we have defined it as. And I kind of took time this week to really articulate it into one simple statement. And it would be this. To be shattered is to be stripped of our self-sufficiency and no longer living independently of God. I'll say that again. To be shattered is to be stripped of our self-sufficiency and no longer living independently of God. Now, we understand that the world might define it differently, and maybe you're looking at it from that perspective of, oh, God must still use broken people, but the avenue that we're trying to take and the angle we're trying to take is actually, simply put, here's the meat and potatoes of it, God uses humble people. God uses people who are of a meek and a contrite spirit. We got that from Matthew chapter number 3 and verse number 5. In Isaiah 57 and verse number 15, God uses people who are of a meek and a contrite spirit. It is God using the process of life, this thing shattered, is is God using the process of life to point us to the realization that we do not have everything put together. If you have it all put together, would you raise your hand? None of us. None of us have it all put together. And if you want to put on that facade, you go ahead, but I will be the first to admit, I don't have everything figured out. I don't have it all put together. And, if, and we can get to that point where we think that we do on this side of the cross have it all fit together. And again, I kind of made mention of it, but we come into church and we come in with our family. And we're all dressed in a tie and a suit. We look nice. We, maybe we teach a Sunday school class. But the realization needs to come that we don't have everything figured out, nor will we ever have everything figured out. And it's that point, that humbling experience where we have that meek and quiet, not meek and quiet, but the meek and humble and a contrite spirit where we realize we don't have it put together. That's where God begins to work in our lives. And that's where God begins to look at us as a vessel that he can use and he can mold and he can shape. We need to come to the realization, here it is, that we desperately need him. We desperately need him, as we mentioned last week in regards to Naaman. We are in a desperate situation, that is life. Life on this side of heaven is a desperate situation and we need him every hour. 
Okay, you might, might look at that and you say, okay, Lamar, I will admit that I need him, but in what aspects do I need him? With all the major decisions, right? I need him in regards to my family, and I need him in regards to my job, in regards to my children, in regards to, and you can name any big situation, but you know we need God in every single thing. Everything, everything, whether it's big or whether it's small, we need him. John chapter 15 and verse 5, it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? Nothing. We can do nothing apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need him in every situation of life, we need him. Every relationship of life, we need him. Every single moment of our life, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. That's shatteredness and that's brokenness. And as we arrive in our text, uh, again, I won't take a lot of time to develop the, the thought behind, uh, the history behind this man, Jacob. Again, I preached this just a few months ago, and we spent a week uh, just in this uh, chapter alone looking at the life of Jacob when we preached through the life of Joseph. And then really every single week we were referencing Joseph's lineage, which falls into Jacob, his father. And so I'll take kind of for granted tonight that most of us know exactly who Jacob is, and we know this about him. He's a heel grabber. He's a deceiver. He's a con man. The, the the name literally means one who comes from behind for an advantage. He's a schemer. He's a manipulator. And so we can understand and we know that any position that we find Jacob in, we know this. He got himself in that situation. He got himself in that position. We could describe Jacob this way. Ready? Unshattered, unbroken, self-sufficient, and living independently of God. But get this. He's not only living independently of God, but he's expecting the blessing from God. Talk about an oxymoron. He, he's living in direct obedience to the will of the Father, but yet he still expects the blessing. We learned this in the past two weeks, that the product of blessedness only comes through the process of brokenness. But Jacob says, you know what, I just want to skip that and get straight to the blessing part of things. Uh, this past week, I sold my boat to a man named Max, and uh, I, I was uh, signing over the title. I noticed his real name is Maximilian, is his actual name. And I said, are you Italian? And he said, I am actually Italian. Yes, my family came over from Italy. And I was like, man, I, my, my wife is part Italian. My father-in-law is Italian. He's, he's Sicilian. And we kind of just began to discuss and talk about Italy and how I'd like to go someday. He said, I just got back from Italy, and he started telling me about the pizza. And he said, you guys have no idea in America what good pizza is. And he starts explaining, and he said, now we've all seen, you know, the, the videos and, and maybe the movies of guys that are in the kitchen and the sun's beaming through and they're, they're throwing the pizza into the air and it's all beautiful. But he's that, he said, it's actually not that way at all. I mean, you know you're in Italy when you see a man wearing a white beater and he's probably about 100 pounds overweight. He's got a gold chain around his neck and he's got hands and fists um, the, uh, the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he said, this is is literally what they do they will abuse that dough they'll take that dough and they'll slap it onto the the, the uh, onto the the marble counter and they begin to punch it with their fists I mean punching it hard he said it's not a thing of beauty it's actually quite vigorous and they're punching and then he said once they begin to punch it then they'll actually begin to drive their fists and they'll begin to twist and they'll, be, they'll get, get their fingers in and they begin to rip it to shreds and then they mold it back in together and they begin to punch it again and putting all their weight and they're basically just going at it destroying this piece of dough but they do that for a reason he said it's because the more that they do it the more that they pound on it the more that they punch it the more pliable it becomes the more squishy it becomes, then they can begin to stretch it. Then they begin, begin to mold it. And he said, that's usually when you see them maybe throw it up a little bit and begin to spin it in the air. But it doesn't get pliable and it doesn't get moldable without the kneading and the punching. 
It doesn't, it doesn't get to that position where, where, the, where the Italian man can take and, 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 and morph a beautiful pizza. He ha- it has to go through this vigorous process of kneading, that's what they call it, kneading and pounding and molding and shaping until the dough is nice and moldable to where he can actually make the crust for the pizza. And if we were to look at the life of Jacob and we were to look at, at exactly how he lives the beginning of his life, we would say it this way, that he lives it and he wants to go through the process, or excuse me, he wants to go through and receive the product of blessing without going through the kneading and the molding and the shaping. He desires the sauce, and he desires the cheese, he desires the pepperoni, hey, sausage, no, uh, no pineapple though. No pineapple. He desires to have the blessing without going through the spinning and the molding and the shaping. You understand? He he wants the blessing. But we must understand this about Jacob. Jacob's character, his character simply is this, who he is as a person, was not ready to be in the position where he could receive the blessing of God. He wasn't ready yet. Why? Because he was unbroken. He He was unbroken. He was unshattered before God. And we understand this about God. And God, it, it, let me tell you this. If you feel like God has a vendetta against you, you don't know my Savior. Because my God loves everybody. And he desires to give us blessing. He desires to give us a life of blessing. But he loves us so much that he's unwilling to give us the blessing when he knows that we're not ready for it. And in regards to Jacob, we know this. He promised Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12 that he's going to bless the seed of Abraham. That falls directly in line with Jacob. He wants to bless Jacob, but Jacob's not ready yet. He wants to bestow the blessing. He wants to give him his promises, but he can't do it until Jacob comes to the position of brokenness and shatteredness. So very simply tonight, I want us to look at just a few things, four things really quickly about God's love in regards to Jacob. Okay, so if you're taking notes, number one, I want you to notice this. God's tender love. God's tender love. In Genesis 32, Jacob was finally on his way back home. After years of being on the run, uh, God tells Jacob to go through, and he does it through a vision. He tells Jacob to go back to the land of Cana. One major problem, though, in Cana, there's this man, and his name is Esau. That's exactly where his brother was. And we know he's on the run for 20 years. He's running from his brother because he stole the birthright from Esau. In Genesis chapter, I believe it's number uh, uh, 24. But he steals the birthright from, uh, from Esau. And he's on the run for 20 long years from his brother. And now God appears to him in a vision. And he gives him this command. Hey, I want you to go back to the land of Cana. Or excuse me, Canaan. One big problem though. That's where Esau is. And Esau, last time he saw Esau, uh, last Last time he saw Esau, hey, last time he saw Esau, Esau, I mean, he was looking dead in the face and said, hey, I'm going to kill you. You better get out of here. I'm going to kill you. I want to I I uh, murder you. He, he, he wanted to kill his brother. And so that's the last time that he saw Esau. 20 years prior, man, it's funnier every time that I say it. Say it 10 times fast. But he knew that about Esau. He had a vendetta against him. And so nonetheless, God gives him this command, hey, I want you to return to Canaan. And so no doubt there there was this overwhelming sense of fear as he realizes that he's about to meet his brother for the first time in over 20 years. Uh, But Jacob did have this one thing going for him. And it's something that we all have going for us. You might be in a very low place tonight. But Jacob knew this. God loved Jacob. God loved Jacob. And evidence of that love can be found in verse 1 and verse number 2. It says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. He says Mahanaim, which represents the protection of God. 
as Jacob is obedient to the command of God to return to Canaan, he knows exactly what he's getting himself into. Again, that's exactly where Esau is. But as he approaches Canaan, no doubt, he's playing over scenario and, uh, after scenario over in his mind, and every single one of them is ending the same, Esau killing Jacob. But God sends these two uh, angels there, and, and he meets them there at Mahane, and, and, and it's for Jacob's protection, a display of God's love for Jacob. Talk about a comfort. He's being obedient to God and doing something that he knows is gonna, is gonna cause harm to himself and God provides these two angels there uh, at Mahanaim and, and it literally means God's protection. He's allowing Jacob to experience God's love for him and saying, hey, I've called you to go this direction but I've also enabled you and give you the resources and the protection and the love necessary for you to do what I've called you to do. Did you know that God will never call you to do something he's not able to work out through you? It might seem that way sometimes. Whenever God calls you to do something that's difficult and hard, he's never called anybody in history, he's never called anybody and not given them the resources necessary to accomplish what he wants them to accomplish. And, and so again, I, I'm, he's thinking, I'm about to see my brother Esau, and I don't have this all figured out, but I'm thankful that God does. I'm thankful that God loves me. God distributes his tender love for Jacob through the protection he provides for Jacob in his time of need. And so it is that God distributes his tender love for us through the protection he provides for us in our time of need. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the reason that that is important is because who got Jacob into the position that he was in in the first place? Jacob. Jacob was in a position that God did not bring about in his life, but Jacob brought about in his life. But nonetheless, God loved Jacob through those infirmities and he's going to allow Jacob to come to the position where God wants to bless him. He's gonna give him the resources necessary and so it is that I don't care if you've put yourself in the position and maybe because of your sin, you're living outside of the will of the Father, God still loves you and God still displays his love upon you and he desires that you come back to a fellowship with God and he will give you the resources necessary. One of those resources is this, his love and protection. As I was thinking about this, I thought of what the hymn writer said. Just when I need him most. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need him most. Just when I need him, Jesus is true, never forsaking all the way through, giving for burdens, pleasures anew, just when I need him most. Just when I need him, Jesus is strong, bearing my burdens all the day long, for all my sorrow, giving a song, just when I need him most. Just when I need him, he is my all. Answering when upon him I call, tenderly watching lest I should fall. Just when I need him most. That is the love of our Savior. In your time of need and desperation, even when it's self-inflicted, he is there. His presence is there. His love is there. That's a display of God's tender love for Jacob. So secondly, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God's tactical love. God's tactical love for Jacob. Up until this point in Jacob's life, Jacob has been uh, scheming his way out of every single problem that he's ever been faced with. We know that about Jacob. But now God is bringing him to a place where he is going to begin to tactically whittle down the very character of Jacob. Okay, we understand that every situation that he's been faced with, whether it's his birthright, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's living in Seir, whether it's going down to Shechem, all of those different things, Jacob has tried to whittle his way out of everything and he's been very successful at it, by the way. He has mastered the art of manipulation and lying. In order for him to get to the position where God wants him to be, God is going to tactically and purposefully mold Jacob and begin to sift through the callousness of his heart and bring him to the position where he's able to be broken and then he's able to be blessed. 
I want us to look at Jacob's actions really quick in verse number three. It says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of uh, Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau, Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and, uh, uh, and have, I have oxen and asses, flocks, and manservants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I, might, uh, that I might fi- may find grace in thy sight. Here we see classic Jacob trying to manipulate his way out of a situation. Classic Jacob, he goes right into default mode where he's trying to manipulate or swindle or he's trying to sweep talk his way out of a problem in a, in a, in a subject. Uh, he sends forth these gifts um, and they present them to Esau. And notice that in verse number three, he references Esau as servant. He says, hey messengers, tell him that his servant Jacob. And then in verse number three and verse number five, he references him as Lord. Call him Lord and tell him that his servant Jacob desires to make peace with him and find grace in his sight. And he sends these gifts before him to to try to make amends for the damage that he's caused in the life of Esau, his brother. Jacob is doing exactly what he always has done up until this point. Use his wit and quick thinking to scheme his way out of trouble. How's he going to respond? Esau. Look at verse uh, number six. It says, And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and 400 men with him. Wow. Went over real well. Got any other bright ideas? Any other bright ideas? Hey, I went, I did exactly what you said, and by the way, he's right behind me, doesn't look too happy, and he's got 400 men following close behind him. Well, matter of fact, we've never known Jacob not to be a man full of ideas, because look what happens in verse number seven. Verse number seven, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, no joke. And he divided the people that was with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels unto two bands, and said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. How noble. I mean, seriously, what a coward. He divides, the, he divides them into two separate sections. He's got his belongings into two separate sections. One's going to be to the north. One's going to be to the south. Esau's coming from the north. Guess which one Jacob is in? To the south. And here's his logic. His logic is that if Esau is really as angry as I think that he is, he'll slaughter all of my servants and all my belongings here, but that'll give us enough time to escape. I mean, seriously, we laugh, but what a coward. What a coward. By the way, that's exactly what sin will do to you. The farther you get into sin, the dumber the ideas become. I mean, the, the, the far, help me out, Pastor. How many times have we counseled and talked to people, and the farther they get into sin, the dumber the ideas become? I mean, seriously, you're living in sin, and you know exactly where you need to go. You know the way of repentance, but rather, your, your bright mind begins to think, and your sin nature takes over, and your ideas get farther and farther and farther from the truth of the Word of God. In a moment of desperation, Jacob is still trying to figure things out his own way. Keep reading in verse 9. Here's Jacob, and he's crying out before God, and he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said us unto me, return unto thy country and do thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Who said that? God said that to Jacob. 
I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he, shall, uh, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Look at this, verse 12. And thou saidest, who said? God, and thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sands of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. Here's this ensuing battle that happens between Jacob and his inward self. And he knows exactly, exactly where the blessing is. It is found in the presence of God and resting in his promises. He quotes God and he says, God, you promised that you would do this. You're the one that told me to go to Canaan. You're the one who told me that you would bless my seed. You're the one who told me to do this. You're the one who brought me to this position where I could go back. And I knew everything that it would include, but you promised that you would do well with me. And you promised that you would uh, surely do good with me and good, do good to me. He knows where the source of blessing can be found, and that is dependence upon the words and the promises of God. Surely now, he's come to the point of breaking. Now he's come to his wit's end. Now he is at the end of his rope, right? Surely anybody, anybody reasonable will understand they put themselves in this position in the first place. God's trying to work it out where they can get back on track, yet they deter once again. Now surely he's come to the position of breaking. But keep reading. Verse number 13. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand. Here it is. A present for Esau, his brother. Again. Brings a present before his, Esau, uh, his brother Esau. Look at verse number 16. And he, uh, he references in verse 14 and verse 15 those gifts. Verse 16. And he delivered them unto the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou? And whither, uh, uh, whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold also he is, read it with me, where is he? Behind us. What a coward. Yeah, you see, behind, about five miles that way, behind, behind that rock, yeah, that's Jacob, your brother. And he sent us here with these gifts to present before you. It gets better. Look at verse number, uh, skip down to verse number 22. And he arose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the, uh, uh, over the four Jabbok and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. So he sends all his belongings, but not only that, it includes his own family. And he puts them directly in the warpath of his brother Esau, who, by the way, is coming to kill him. What a coward. Sends his own family. Sends all of his belongings and all of his servants. He's trying everything in his power to get out of the, the way of the battle from his brother Esau. So much so that he puts his family in danger. What a father. By the way, dads. Don't think for a second that your inability to follow after the path of God only has lasting effects for you. Because when you choose to do your own thing, it's not just you that has to suffer the ramifications, it's also your family. You put your family in direct access where Satan can get his way with them and have his way with them. That's exactly what Jacob is doing. All this lying and this scheming and this manipulation, not just in his past life, but in regards to this situation here, where does it get Jacob? Verse 24, and Jacob was left, read it with me, alone. 
And Jacob was left alone. He's by himself. <clears throat> I want us to understand, and, and I've kind of already talked about this and hit on it, but Jacob is in the position that he is in for none other reason than this, his bad decision making. No one has gotten him in this position but himself. No one has gotten him into this stage of life other than himself and his bad decisions and his poor decision making. And, and again, it didn't happen overnight, but rather it was a lifetime of mistakes, bad decisions, and flawed intentions that landed Jacob into this desperate situation. But I want us to understand something so incredibly beautiful about the story of Jacob. All this mess that he's caused and all the shambles of his life that are sitting around him. God was tactically working, ready? He was tactically working through Jacob's series of mistakes and bad decisions. Can you put your mind around that? God was working through the bad decisions that Jacob was making. God was working through all the ill-advised, flawed intentions that Jacob had. God was not shaken. Do you think for a moment that our God in heaven, who is an all-knowing and an omnipotent God, was standing on the edges of heaven, biting his nails, saying, oh my goodness, that's not the decision that I had lined out for him to make? No, not for one second. He knew exactly who Jacob was. He knew exactly what Jacob was going to do. He knew that he had set out the trajectory uh, for Jacob's life in the beginning and that Jacob was going to go the opposite direction. He was not for a moment. God was not for a moment shaken by the bad decisions, but rather he was working through them, working through the bad decisions of Jacob. That's not how I would do it there. No, that's not the decision that I would make there. No, I probably wouldn't do things that way. That's not the, the line and the trajectory that I've laid out for the life of Jacob. But he was not standing on the edge of heaven nervous at every step that Jacob would make. Why? Because our God is an all-knowing God. Our God is an omnipotent and omniscient God who knows every step that we take. He was tactically working and loving through the messes that Jacob kept presenting. It was a tactical love. So we have the tender love of God. We have the tactical love of God. Thirdly, I want us to know this. God's tough love. God's tough love. <clears throat> Verse 24. We kind of have a switch in the story, in the narrative. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. So we've got Jacob and he's running for his life. And again, he schemed his way out of every situation, but not this one. He's at the end of his rope, so to speak. He's at the end of his rope. And verse 25 it says, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So again, this wrestling match ensues, and the dawn begins to approach, and this man touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh, knocking his hip out of joint. I heard a preacher once say it this way, the smooth man lost his groove. Jacob's hip is knocked out of joint, and we know this about Jacob, he was a strong runner. Every time that we reference Jacob in Scripture, usually he's running from something. Not anymore. Isn't it funny how God sometimes has a way of humbling us physically? God weakens and demobilizes Jacob. And listen very carefully. God is going to change Jacob's life on this very night. And going forward, everything is going to be different for Jacob. Everything's going to be different for, for Jacob. He's going to change his name even. But watch this. He, he's going to do this and it's going to sting a little bit. It's going to hurt. 
It's not like just a, a, a direct turn. No, it's, it's actually gonna be a little bit prodding and a little bit painful, this humbling experience. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually here in a minute. We're gonna see that emotionally. It's gonna sting a little bit. Jacob cannot experience the blessing without the breaking. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Then he says this. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead. Wow. Paul was telling the Corinthian church that self-sufficiency would get nothing but despair and frustration, but that they ought to trust God. He was saying, hey, I've been there and I've done that. And self-sufficiency, if you're depending on anything else but God, it will get you nothing but frustration and a mess, the Corinthian church. Same for Jacob. Same for Jacob's process. Self-sufficiency got him nothing but despair and frustration. But finally, this weakening was exactly what God needed to break Jacob down he was at the end of his rope that's God's tough love lastly number four I want us to see this God's transforming love God's transforming love Jacob was come to this place of breaking and God uses Jacob's own bad decisions and mistakes to bring Jacob to a place where he's un uh, or where he's usable and mendable now Jacob's gone through this process of molding and, and shaping, and although Jacob does not have it all figured out yet, and although Jacob is gonna continue to go on and make mistakes, it's at this point where God says, this I can work with. This I can work with. Now we can begin to uh, go through the process of bringing you to the point where I'm able to bless you. And it had to come through this breaking. Jacob's at the end of his rope, verse 27, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Uh, now I, I hope that I, uh, I, don't, I don't know how many of you were here a couple of months ago when I preached this, so it's such a strange question to ask. I mean, seriously, when you consider that this wrestling match has ensued and the dawn begins to break and he touches the hollow of his thigh and then the man turns around, the angel of the Lord turns around and he asks Jacob's name. Do you think that he knew Jacob's physical name? Absolutely. So why ask? I, I don't want us to miss this. Jacob responds and he's saying, Jacob, it wasn't just that he was answering his literal question, but he was answering his philosophical question and it was this, who are you? Who are you? He's not just asking his name, but in this culture, your name identified who you were and your character. Jacob means what? Heel grabber, manipulator, con artist, one who comes from behind for an advantage. Uh, he was a liar and a deceiver. All of those things were entailed in one man's name and his identity was this, I'm Jacob. And when he was asking him to identify himself, he wasn't just saying, what's your name? He's saying, who are you? And Jacob acknowledges, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the manipulator. I'm the con artist. I am one who comes from behind for an advantage. That's who I am. That's my identity. There had to be an acknowledgement of who he was. Everybody else knew exactly who Jacob was. Everybody he came into count, uh, encountered, everybody that he encountered knew exactly who Jacob was. His servants definitely at this point knew who he was. His wives, all of his family knew who he was. His brother knew who he was. His mother knew who he was. But it was time for Jacob to fess up. It was time for Jacob to come to that point where he acknowledged who he was in his identity. God cannot change you into his image if you don't know that you need changing. God cannot bring you to that point of humbling if you do not realize, you don't come to the acknowledgement that the, here's what Jacob had to admit. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have everything put together. 
there had to be an acknowledgement of this mess that was behind him, and he had to say this, that was all me. Verse 28 tells us of this transforming love in Jacob's situation. He says in verse 28, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Now that Jacob was at the end of his rope, God didn't just give him a makeover. He rebuilt Jacob's identity completely. He says, I'm going to call you by a different name now. That is Israel. Israel means this, retaining or holding to God. I love that. Retaining or holding to God. Jacob comes from behind for an advantage. Israel, retaining or holding to God. From this day forward, Israel was no longer to hold to his self-sufficiency, or self-sufficiency, but rather this, to hold to the presence of God. To long for the presence of God. To grasp on the presence of God. Now, again, I want to mention this. He's going to go on to make some great mistakes, as we all do. No one is perfect. No one, again, has it all figured out. But at this point of breaking, he goes on and, again, continues to make mistakes. But he was able to receive the blessing that God had promised him because of this process of brokenness. He was not able to receive the blessing without going through the process of breaking. We see that Jacob tried most of his life to escape the process of brokenness through his self-sufficiency and independence from God. It wasn't until he finally came to this point of brokenness and shatteredness that he was able to experience the blessing that he so desperately desired and by the way, that God so desperately wanted to give. But it did not happen without first going through the process. It did not happen without the needing. And what I love and I want you to get from this story is that God was working through the mistakes of Jacob to bring him to this point of brokenness. And so let me ask you tonight, in just simple application, are you at the end of your rope? Maybe it's with your marriage, and you look at it, and there's no one else to blame but yourself. Your self-sufficiency in your marriage, your pride in your marriage. Maybe it's your family, maybe you have a wayward child, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your family unit, and you know that it's your bad decision-making. You know that you are the one who put your family in this mess, and you're at the end of your rope. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a a difficult circumstance you're going through with a friend. It doesn't matter what it is. You're in a position because of your decision-making and your inability to make proper and right decisions. You got yourself into this mess and you're at the end of your rope. That's exactly where God wants you to be. Because what happens is when we get to that place where we throw up our hands, an Old Testament term would be this, renting your clothes. When you get to that end of yourself where you have nowhere else to go, That's where God looks down and he says, now we can begin the process of blessing. But it does not come without the process of brokenness. We cannot experience, we cannot experience the product of blessedness without going through the process of brokenness. So let me just simply ask you tonight, are you at the end of your rope? You're exactly where God wants you to be. Acknowledge, acknowledge that you've gotten yourself into this mess. Understand it's gonna hurt just like it hurt uh, Jacob. Understand that it's gonna hurt, but then understand that God now desires to put back the pieces and begin to mend and begin to mold if your spirit is shattered and broken. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Thank you so much for speaking uh, even to me this week, and, and, and I've, many times I've had to go through this process where you've had to humble me. 
And and, uh, like Jacob, I look at every situation in life where I look to my right and I look to my left and I have nowhere else to go. I know that it's, it's of my own bad decision making. I have nowhere else to blame but myself. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to understand that we don't need to just keep digging. We just need to turn around, acknowledge those things and acknowledge that you love us. You love us and you desire to bless us, but you do not give us blessing when we step outside of your will. Lord, I pray that you'd help everybody that's in the sound of my voice, if they're at the end of their rope with their marriage or their family or whatever it may be, Lord, that they would understand that that's a great place to be because now they've expedited all their own resources and now they can begin to use your resources and your resources far outweigh ours. I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd stand with me, we'll go into our...